This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue, joined right now by Daniel Gallen, and we are fresh out of Beaver Stadium where we just watched Penn State finish its spring schedule on the football field, 15 practices in total dating back to March. We've had weekly looks. We've had weekly coverage over at Lions247.com. Uh, of course, the spring game lets us peel back the curtain a bit more. A couple hours of action on the field, intra-squad scrimmage. It was a 10-0 game at the end of the day with Team Blue taking the win. And Daniel, at the end of the day, the scoreboard wasn't going to matter. If Penn State's going to finish 500 on Saturday. But what we want to know is a lot of the questions that can't be answered when we get our 10 to 15 minute practice looks on those Tuesday afternoon. And that is, what do these guys look like when, when the contact is ramped up and when the intensity is ramped up? And those are the kind of subjects we'll get into today. we got a couple MVP-worthy performances to talk about. Quarterback play obviously going to be in the spotlight. By the way, Penn State just picked up a, a post-game commitment. We got, we, I'll, I'll address that. we got a ton of recruiting content at the site. But let's begin with the fact that, Daniel, spring camp's a wrap. What did you take away from today specifically? Yeah, I think the the big thing for this podcast is what we should set the over-under on commits uh, during the you yeah. know, 20 or 30 minutes that we're doing this at. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I thought today was it was a very nice bow to put on the past couple of weeks uh, of what we saw. Like you said, it's, you know, it's a spring game. You know, the final score is 10 to nothing. Um, you go 500 on the day. It's hard to take, you know, so much from the stats and the score. Uh, it's, it's all about getting an extended look at these guys, uh, which you know is really welcome after those those small glimpses uh, into the window. So, you know, I think the first place I start, this defense looks as advertised, uh, given everything that you know we kind of assumed, given who was coming back, who decided to come back, um, and what we expected out of guys potentially taking the next step. Um, I think that what we saw on Saturday. Uh, is you know a little little bit of a preview for maybe how good this team can be. You know what uh, you know, what they might be able to do, how disruptive they can be up front. Um, I think when we talk about potential MVPs, uh, we'll we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, but I just came away you know really impressed with the defense, uh, a really solid unit. Um, obviously, in the spring game scenario, you're not getting too exotic. Um, I don't think we saw the Prowler package out there today. Um, you know, that's one of the things that was pretty, you know, straightforward, you know, base defense four three. Uh, you know, Daquan Hardy coming on for the nickel. Uh, that was pretty much what we saw, you know, from Manny Diaz. But you know, given the talent that is on that that side of the ball, that talent really shined today. 
It's a button-up bunch right now in year two with Manny Diaz. You think back to where this group was at the completion of spring ball in 2022. Zane Durant was the only new roster member that they had added since Manny Diaz took over. Of course, they lost a bunch of guys right when he was taking the job after the Outback Bowl. And such a different situation. Not only is Manny Diaz incredibly familiar with his personnel at this stage, but they're very familiar with him and what their expectations are, what the roles are. And guys, I think, have a strong feel. And it's going to be very important for team success this year that you don't have to start on this defense to be a big-time player for this defense. And that's going to get us right to, to our pick for defensive MVP, deny Dennis Sutton. Look, he may not start a single game in 2023 as a sophomore, but he may end up leading this team in sacks. He may be one of the more disruptive defensive linemen in the Big Ten Conference. If what we saw on Saturday and what we've heard he put together during the span of these five weeks carries into September and beyond, we're talking about a former five-star recruit who didn't get to campus until last June. He talked about it after the game today. It really felt like he enrolled. And then all of a sudden, uh, the, the, he was training camp was around the corner, and the first game was around the corner, and you're scrambling trying to figure this out, that out as a college athlete, as a football player. He played in every game last season. He burned his red shirt, but it really sounds like he has found his footing this spring. He hit three sacks pretty early in the year last year before they got to October. That's where he finished. Uh, he had two, and I, I think in real life football games where, where quarterbacks are going to be hit hard, he may have had three or four sacks on on, on the day. Now, we have to put this out there. No Olu Fashionu at left tackle. We know that, that that he's taken some some work against him over the course of, of, of ball here. But a lot of times attacking from the right side, working against Caden Wallace um, and Drew Shelton, and those guys got their work today uh, from denied Dennis Sutton. Yeah, I think that there's there's one play where uh, Deny Dennis Sutton, you know, pushed Drew Shelton, I believe, into Drew Aller's lap pretty much. Um, I think Aller was still able to to get the pass off. Um, maybe it might have even completed it. But you know, those were the types of reps that we were seeing, you know, from Deny Dennis Sutton uh, today. You know, I think that you know, when you look at you know, the profile of a, of a five star edge rusher, I think that coming in, you know, I think there were pretty high expectations for what he would be able to do last year. You know, I think that defensive end is, you know, I think one of those positions where if you are a five-star caliber guy, you can come in and I'm not going to say it's easy to contribute right away, but it's a bit of a, a reasonable expectation. And, you know, he got those three sacks in the fourth quarter of, of two non-conference games. Um, and then, you know, I think down the stretch, he was around the quarterback a little bit in, in some garbage time, but couldn't get him to the ground. So I, I think that he's someone who probably has a, you know, a lot to prove. Um, he does have Chop Robinson and Adisa Isaac in front of him, you know, two pretty accomplished and, you know, pretty good defensive ends in their own right. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see what that next step is for him. But I think that there's a lot of guys who were looking to see what their next steps are. You know, Zane Durant, you know, Deny Dennis Sutton's classmate uh, on the interior. He was in the backfield. Zariah Fisher, I thought, flashed a little bit after missing most of last season to injury. Um, it, it's going to be a really interesting group. I'm, I'm really curious to see what this you know, second step is for them, what they're going to be able to do uh, this year. Yeah, and you you kind of phrased it playing behind those those two vets and and, and Chop Robinson and Adiza Isaac. It might be more like playing alongside. I mean, last mm -hmm. year we kind of viewed three starter situation with with Nick Tarburton and Adiza Isaac and Chop Robinson. In that situation, Chop Robinson was the one who was left out of any starts. Finished the season with zero starts, but 
certainly could have made the case that he was their most impactful edge rusher over the span of the entire year. And so maybe that's what it sets up for deny Dennis Sutton. By the way, I mean, Vanover, we, we always seem to overlook him in these conversations. And, and I don't want to do it today because I thought he did some really strong things. And, and whoever was that right tackle today, whether it was Drew Shelton, uh, wh- whether it was Caden Wallace, they were getting work. And, and I think that, that goes to show you what kind of a level of, of, challenge that this offensive line specifically those tackles have faced all spring long it denied Dennis Sutton after this game crediting Olu Fashionu for a lot of what he was able to, to to do in making strides this spring when you're facing a technician like that someone that powerful someone viewed as a potential number one offensive line prospect in an NFL draft it's going to make you a, a, a it's either going to make you fold up and, and feel bad about yourself or it's going to make you break through and build some confidence and, and it seems like it was the latter in the case of deny Dennis Sutton that was reflected in his effort today offensively we'll get to the quarterbacks in a moment receiver was an area that we were waiting to see who's going to pop up no one around this program wants to tell you much about anybody who's not named Harrison Wallace or Keandre Lambert Smith this spring well they had to talk about Omari Evans after this performance today uh team best five catches 80 total yards he was the only Nittany Lion to actually reach the end zone he had a 28 yard touchdown on a pass from Drew Aller uh, afterward, he, he took an excessive celebration penalty for spaying <laughs> the football and did 50 up-downs on national TV. Uh, not exactly the way you thought it would play out, but he, better to learn that lesson than in a Big Ten matchup down the road. And Omari Evans, as James Franklin said afterward, stepped up in a situation where they were looking for a third wide receiver to step up. He also tipped his hat towards some of those younger wide receivers in that 2022 recruiting class. Caden Saunders, who had a nice day for himself, four catches over 50 yards. Uh, and then uh, Anthony Ivey got in the mix as well. I think he had three or four catches. Um, he mentioned Malik McLean having a good day. But clearly, when you look at wide receiver, trying to make sense of who could be that riser, Amari Evans is one of those that we have said, look, he, he he's in that cluster, and he's probably in the top of that cluster uh, with Dante Cephas coming to town and ready to shake things up. But Amari Evans said this will be a springboard for him going into the summer. In, in talking about the younger wide receivers, I would also throw in Tyler Johnson's diving catch. Um, didn't get a second look at it, so you know who knows what, you know what the ball was doing. But from our angle, looked like a catch uh, at the very end of the the first half for a bit of a of splash play by him. But you know, I I think that Omari Evans is someone that you know, we kind of started to hear his name mentioned as that number three guy. Um, it kind of, it bubbled up a little bit. Um, and it, it kind of makes sense when you think about his, his career trajectory, you know, he came in last year as an early enrollee uh, he's still pretty brand new to playing, uh, you know, playing wide receiver full time since he was a high school quarterback. Um, but you know, he burned that red shirt. He was on the field, the last drive of the game in the Purdue game, uh, you know, cause Mitch Tinsley had to tap out. So Omari Evans was in on the field from the jump. Uh, showed some chemistry with Drew Aller uh, when Aller got in in the second half of some blowouts early in the season. Um, and while I think he finished with around like five catches for 55 yards and a touchdown somewhere in there last year, I think that you could kind of see that, okay, there's a development curve right here. Um, this is someone that is taking those steps forward. Taylor Stubblefield, the the ex-wide receivers coach, talked a lot about, you know, you didn't have to break any bad habits with, with Omari Evans. So it made it uh, not easy to develop him, but it was a little bit different. It was a lot more focus on, you know, building and creating instead of changing. Um, and Omari Evans said that he's more familiar with the playbook. He's more familiar, uh, you know, with playing the position and that's allowing him to play closer to his true speed, 
which I believe is in the four threes. It's some. It's, it's, some, it's sub four four. Yeah, it's sub four four. It, it's pretty legit speed. So I think that this is kind of the the pieces coming together for him. Um, you know, I think that when you talk about spring game performances, you know, when we were doing our MVP picks, we were kind of talking about how you know sometimes it's guys you never hear from again. But I think that Omari Evans is someone that you know, given his trajectory, given what we saw from him last year and what we know that he's someone that we'll be hearing from again uh, this this fall, whether it's as that third wide receiver or in some sort of rotation. Uh, I think that's something that we'll, you know, Wolf we'll to find out. And <laughs> I think it's something that James Franklin really wants to know soon, too. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of question about him solidly being in the top six. They, I, <laughs> I, they want to have six game ready guys. And 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 we I don't know if we've quite seen that from the Penn State wide receiver core in the last several years to, to, to be able to confidently say you have six. Um, we know they have two. They've made that very clear with, with what Harrison Wallace and Keandre Lambert Smith mean to this offense. It's also very clear if you read behind the uh, between the lines and just talk away from the camera and away from rest conference settings that they really think Dante Cephas is going to come in and be an immediate impact player, just like the, the reason he was the prize prospect out of Kent State. He'll be with this team in preseason camp. But, yeah, Omari Evans, Caden Saunders got some juice going today. Uh, sounds like he also was, was flying around in a different way he wasn't able to do last year, showing off that speed and being able to translate that in the college practice field because you mentioned it. Uh, a lot of these guys came to campus with great 40-yard dash times, but it takes a while to see that actually reflected on a practice field when you're playing against Power 5 defenses, working under the microscope of a Power 5 coaching staff, and dealing with all the pressures that go into that. You can be doing a lot of thinking, which slows up those steps, and it sounds like it's coming together for some of these wide receivers, which lends some confidence to Marcus Hagan's group. Uh, a lot to learn about them. Let's get to the, to the quarterback position because Drew Aller has not been named the starter we know he's going to be the starter. Uh, I, like, as long as he's healthy, he's going to be the guy that trots this offense out against West Virginia, and people are going to be singing his praises as the potential next big thing to come out of Penn State. Got to look at him in Beaver Stadium today. Let me check the final stat line that they had on him. Uh, 19 of 30, 202 yards, one touchdown, no turnovers. He had a couple errant passes in the spring game last year when he made his Beaver Stadium playing debut. Uh, no turnovers, though, at all in any of his appearances with Penn State last season. So nice job protecting the football today. He faced uh, quite a bit of heat in the in the pocket, which I think is going to pay off. I think he's been taking his lumps uh, over the course of this spring, facing maybe the best defense he'll see all year long. Um, and there was a separation today. I don't want to take anything away from, from who Bo Perbula is as a competitor. Uh, he's beloved in this locker room, and he certainly is a guy that they want to maybe get involved in some different ways on the field. They've made that very clear. But when we're talking about a two-man quarterback race here, I get why they're leaving it open, and, and I completely understand that, and I don't want to take too much from one-fifteenth of the spring schedule. But this is our first chance to see both guys go against live defenses, and in Bo's case, our first chance to see that since he was playing high school football. Uh, so uh, today you saw 30 passes from Drew Aller. I think you saw maybe some, some some energy early, maybe that he was trying to reel in a little bit, maybe an excitable uh, start to the game. But we saw some special throws from him from different arm angles. Uh, when the clock was was an issue down in the second half, you or in the in the second quarter, you saw him make some some really nice plays uh, with the time being an issue. So I think with but Drew Aller, you walk away and say he didn't light up the stat sheet. They didn't put up 40 points on offense, 
But I think you saw some of that composure come through. You saw some of that vision come through as he navigated through the pocket. And ultimately, you saw a clear separation atop this quarterback depth chart, which we thought might be the case. But everybody within the walls of the Lash building has done a very good job in making it apparent that they see this thing as a competition and they want it to remain that way, leaving spring ball. Yeah, I mean, I really liked what I saw out of Drew Aller today. I, I think that it was pretty, um, you know, as advertised and in, in keeping with everything that we've heard behind the scenes um, this offseason. You know, the the super wow plays weren't really there, but I think that he's someone when you watch him, you know, in the pocket, when he has that clean pocket and is able to really survey the field, go through his reads, um, you know, and find the right guy. I mean, he just throws such a pretty ball. Um, it, the, the way it comes out of his hands, it looks so easy, uh, during pregame warmups, I saw him throw, he was at the opposing 45 yard line and threw it in the air to, to the goal line. So 55 yards and it, the motion just looks so easy. It looks so, you know, it just, it looked like what it's supposed to look like. Um, you know, Caden Saunders was asked, uh, after, af- after the blue white game, you know, if there was any adjustment you know, going from Sean Clifford, uh, to Drew Aller uh, in terms of getting used to that velocity. And Caden Saunders said for him, there wasn't an adjustment because he and Aller are, are familiar with each other, you know, going back to high school and, you know, got a lot of work together. But he said that for some of the other guys who weren't as familiar with Aller, that there was a bit of an adjustment with, with how that ball comes in there. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, I understand why, you know, Penn State and James Franklin are leaving this as an open competition um, but I think that when you look and then, you know, like you said, you don't want to take anything away from Bo Perbula. And, you know, in this t- this type of setup isn't necessarily conducive to his athleticism uh, and what he can do as a quarterback. And I think we saw some of that athleticism and when he had to scramble when things broke down a little bit. Um, but I think that you can just see how Drew Aller is a QB one, you know, watching himself on the field, uh, seeing you know, hearing him talk about things afterwards. Um, And then just, you know, looking at those plays, I mean, you know, everyone's going to be talking about that sidearm throw, you know, the most buzzed about one yard gain of spring. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Drew Aller talked about after the game, you know, 70% of the time, you know, you have a clean pocket or that's what you, when you expect to have a clean pocket, but 30% of the time you're going to have to make something happen. You're going to have to switch up your arm angle. Uh, Things are going to break down. You're going to have to scramble. Um, you know, he's someone who seems like he plays really in control uh, and really knows what he's doing out there. Um, you know, talking about Denai Dennis Sutton, you know, he sees Denai Dennis Sutton crashing really hard on a uh, on a replay. Uh, Dennis Sutton destroys Catron Allen in the backfield, but Aller pulled the ball and is you know home freer on the left side. So, you know, he he did say he had he came out a little amped up. Uh, wasn't necessarily the smoothest day, but. I think that you saw a lot of things that you want to see when you're talking about, you know, a potential QB one, you know, for a team that has, you know, CFP aspirations. We'll be right back on the Lions 24 seven podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price. Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. And you know what we didn't see that I really liked? And it's a little hard to tell when you got music blaring and we're up in the press box, but it seemed like the communication was on point between the coaching staff and the quarterbacks. Um, and I, I, I'm just basing that off of the two quarterbacks that we saw play. Jackson Smolik, uh, the freshman, attempted one pass in the afternoon. Then I, Dennis Sutton, spent more time in the backfield than Jackson Smolik did in his debut blue-white game. But those two quarterbacks, I'll, I'll give the – there weren't any lapse moments. Sometimes on a practice field, you can see coaches say, hold on, we got to get it together. <laughs> and they huddle up, and, and we just didn't get that today. And I was wondering, you know, in front of a bit of a crowd at Beaver Stadium, not a very large one, but there's a more of a spotlight microscope sensation as a quarterback when you're trying to direct an offense and there's moving parts and you've got some players missing out there and you've got walk-ons involved. And it seemed to run pretty smoothly. That's a credit to the coaching staff and what they've done implementing their practice plans over the course of years and, and, and more recently in this spring ball window. Uh, but I thought that was good to see today. It was something I was going to be keeping an eye on. And Bo Perbulo's final stat line, just to get back to that, 10 of 27, 92 yards, and an interception on the day. Um, when we look at across the board here, um, who did not play? Uh, before we get to some guys who flashed, um, Hakeem Beeman, Kazai Izzard on the defensive line at tackle. Uh, Izzard's a guy that we didn't really get to see any, any involvement from in the pads during spring ball. James Franklin had forewarned us about that possibility. Also warned us that Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren came in a spring ball recovering from bumps and bruises we didn't see them at all in the last five weeks that included uh, on saturday in terms of being in pads everybody that i'm mentioning was on the field the transfer portal is open now so i don't want to freak people out everyone i'm mentioning was on the field in in jerseys but but not in uniform and not participating tyler elson dom deluca at the linebacker position that opened up some more room for, for, for freshmen to get some run Jalen reed at safety uh, a couple freshmen not available and zion tracy at cornerback offensive lineman anthony daka and then offensive lineman Olu Fashanu, that's one that you know, we've seen him seemingly be full go in our looks at practice, holding down that left tackle position. So with him out of that, we saw more Drew Shelton at left tackle as the next man up there. We know he's competing with Caden Wallace at right tackle, but he got some run back at left tackle like he did last year. Um, with all that said, James Franklin, and this matches what we've heard all spring, there's confidence that those names going to be ready for, for, for come preseason camp going to be ready to be the contributors there. But figured I'd run that list just to remind folks that it's a short-changed look at the 2023 Litany Lions. We're not talking about a medical staff with the Penn State program trying to get guys ready to face Ohio State. This is, again, 1-15th of their spring practice schedule. And then throw on that that you're going to be adding more than a dozen scholarship players uh, via transfer, via freshman class in the upcoming months. Just a reminder, an incomplete version of the 2023 Penn State football team that we saw out there on Saturday. Yeah, just just to go back to the communication uh, point with with the quarterbacks and the coaches, I think the one time we might have seen that come up was right before halftime uh, in the the sped up uh, two minute drill where uh, Elliot Washington makes a great play to keep Katron Allen in bounds. Um, it looked like, and then Drew Aller threw that pass to Tyler Johnson. I, I think it looked like James Franklin wasn't necessarily happy with with how that ended and, and what exactly happened there. 
that's something to go back and, and rewatch. Um, but can we, we give we yeah. give those defensive backs some love real quick? Elliot Washington with a yes. big hit, and and Kate, it's not easy to force Catron out <laughs> to do anything on a football field. So to make him sit down and keep that clock going says a lot about the physicality for Washington. We've heard a lot about it. Top twenty four seven prospect at the cornerback position, using that physicality on the practice field, bench pressing receivers at times early in his college career out there, and then on that stick that we talked about with Johnson that was near the goal line. Uh, I think that was the play where Makai Flowers yes. was able to fight through a block and come up with a stop. He had some help from defenders, but Flowers really made the play as he was working off of a block. thought that was really impressive because he's a guy that you can kind of forget about a little bit because you can go four deep easy at safety about guys who are going to be playing big-time game snaps. I thought Makai Flowers had a good day. We'll talk about some more, but I just didn't want to get by those two references. Definitely. I think that those were two really physical plays uh, that we saw and on a day when you know, I think that sometimes you don't know how much physicality uh, you're going to see in, in this type of setting. But, you know, in terms of the the people that we're missing today, I, I think that the I think Penn State is in a, a really good place in terms of the amount of personnel uh, where the roster is right now. Um, I think that when we were at this point last year, there was a lot of changes that that were still going to happen. I mean, you know, Chop Robinson had pretty much just committed. Um, at, at this point, a year ago, if I'm remembering correctly, Hunter Norzad mm-hmm. wasn't on campus yet. You know, you did have those freshman early enrollees, but like you said, Abdul Carter, Deny Dennis yeah. Sutton, Drew Shelton, none of them were on campus when they played the 2022 Blue White game. Maybe exactly. as visitors, but they weren't. They were on the <laughs> field. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like you said, Zane Durant was the only like new face on the defense uh, last spring. So, you know, I think that what we saw today is going to be pretty similar to what we see against West Virginia on September 2nd. Um, you know, like James Franklin said after uh, you know, afterward, you know, they're still looking at the transfer portal. There's still a couple mm-hmm. positions that they're interested in. And if you're a good player, uh, they're going to be interested in you uh, just overall. Um, but I think that where Penn State is now is what we're going to see in September. And I think that that bodes really well when you talk about continuity and chemistry and how this team is coming together. Um, you know, it's it's nice when James Franklin says that he doesn't expect any of these injuries or things that had guys sidelined to really, you know, linger uh, into the winter or into the, the fall. Um, but I think that you should feel really good about the health of this roster, both literally and then in the, in the more figurative sense. And remember last year as well, you lost Zariah Fisher for what we thought was going to be the season during spring practice. So you had a kind of a, a net of zero in terms of what you added defensively with one guy on board and then losing another very different forecast uh, as this team heads into the summer. Um, I mentioned some of those guys who flashed in the defensive backfield in general, looked as strong as advertised. Johnny Dixon and Kaylin King were the first cornerbacks on the perimeter. Daquan Hardy uh, working in that uh, slot coverage role. We're going to see a lot of Johnny Dixon there. They have the flexibility to, to bring Dixon inside, bring a guy like Storm Ducker, Cam Miller, put him opposite of Kaylin King. Elliott Washington gets that kind of run on the outside as well. And then at safety, um, look, KJ Winston, uh, validated a lot of the stuff that we continue to hear about him. I've been talking about a lot last year. I think he ended up with 18 tackles last season, which doesn't look great on the surface, but he did that in like 110 defensive snaps. I mean, he was a high, high impact player when he had his opportunities to go do some things defensively as a freshman, which didn't come all that often while he burned his red shirt. And so to see him 
being able to roam around the field uh, with a longer leash this year. He's going to have more responsibilities. He may end up starting. It doesn't really matter if he does at the safety position this year, but the physicality was on display. And what we've talked about a lot with, with KJ Winston is that wingspan, that range, the fits he could provide with you in, in, in coverage downfield, eliminating some of those windows for a quarterback. But what I really like about Winston and what we saw featured on the field today is he can come up from that second level and really attack and really turn one of those dump-off passes to a tight end or a running back that can exploit you and end up being a 20-yard gain that moves the chains on third down, he can stop that in its tracks, and he can do it with some force. I think I, I highlighted one play in my little post-game write-up where I was, a, I think, a pitch or a handoff to Katron Allen around around the left side, and K.J. Winston really just fired up you know, from the second or third level. You know, knife, you know, split the blockers perfectly, was able to make the initial hit on Allen and, you know, got him down or helped to get him down for, I think, a two yard gain. You know, that was kind of the play that, you know, watching it through the binoculars and, and really seeing it happen in real time, you know, you kind of go like, oh, OK, like, well, like that was like a pretty like perfect play in terms of the way it was executed, the way it was read. Um, I think that, you know, KJ Winston was, was my pick for a defensive MVP uh, going into it. I think that, you know, given what we've heard from some of his teammates, um, he's someone who could really be in for a big role. Uh, what that role looks like is going to be really interesting, given that Penn State played four safeties uh, a lot last year. Um, and, you know, kind of like what you talked about with Makai Flowers, you know, you go you get down to five and six right now and it's Tyrese Mills and Makai Flowers who, you know, both of whom aren't really slouches either. When you turn, when you can, talk I, about can I say this, Daniel, two top 24, seven prospects joined the party very soon. Dakari Nelson, who's six foot three and can do a lot of safety. And then King mm -hmm. Mack who has world-class speed. So buckle up for this competition. Yeah. I mean, KJ Winston mentioned them too in, in passing where, you know, I asked him about, you know, the competition there and he said that it's great and they're adding more to it. Um, and I think that, you know, the way that this defense has has turned out and some of the packages that they use, you know, I, I don't necessarily think Manny Diaz and Anthony Poindexter are getting together and saying, OK, let's get a, a four safety formation so that we can get all these guys playing time. But I do think that the willingness of Terry Smith, Anthony Poindexter and Manny Diaz just to get the best defensive backs onto the field at the same time. I think that really helps the safety room uh, that, that Penn state has constructed. And I think that that's a position that going into the fall, it's, it's going to be really fun to watch really interesting to see what they're able to do. Yeah. It was Ellis and Zaki Wheatley paired up as the initial safety tandem followed in uh, by flowers and Winston, just reiterating Jalen Reed, uh, did not play in the blue-white game. Uh, we've often seen him run out there with the first team. Wanted to finish off and just in terms of guys, and, and we're going to have a bunch at lines247.com in the coming days. Uh, we're going to get a second look at this because Big Ten Network aired it, and we usually don't get to see much of practice. Now we get to see an entire practice and pause it, and it's going to be pretty nice. And, and so we'll do that, and we'll work our way, and we'll have more notes from this matchup, and it'll inform our next podcast when we – talk bigger picture about spring ball wrapping up and the questions that remain going into the summer. But I got to circle back to a guy I spent a lot of time uh, discussing when we previewed this matchup, and that's Tony Rojas. He was my pick for defensive MVP. He ended up leading the team with nine total tackles. He had a, a couple pass breakup along the way. But I thought both him and Tamir Robinson, who was largely working in a second-team role as a Mike linebacker today, again, no Tyler Elsden as part of the equation. But I thought they both – 
uh, you know, showed up pretty well. Uh, Tony Ross was no surprise, but Tamir, I wanted to see how he moved at that size. We've been kind of saying, are we just, uh, is the inevitable going to come down the line? He's going to end up as a defensive end in the blue white game next year. I'm not so sure anymore based on what we've heard and what we've seen on the practice field, watching him maneuver, navigate his way down the field in some pass coverage. He's got a lot to work on. He's got a lot to, to round out. He didn't play much high school football down the stretch of his career there. But I think Tamir Robinson is the kind of guy who, as he continues to build that momentum, figure out where he is as a football player within this defense, he could be on the rise come uh, preseason camp and maybe work his way into the conversation. It's it's a crowded room. Getting DeLuca back, you're getting Elsden, uh, you're getting Elsden back. You've already got Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs and Kobe King as guys who played significant Big Ten football. And, and I don't want to shortchange someone like Keon Wiley who's trying to battle for his own uh, you know, career launch pad right now. But I thought coming out of this. Those two linebackers, you know, Manny Diaz said that he felt like they added two elite linebacker talents to the room with their early enrollees this year. I think Tony Rojas has stolen the spotlight for good reason. Come away from this thinking that they've got two guys they can work with long term. And again, just based off a limited sample size, but really good early returns on a lot of these defensive signees. And another top 24-7 prospect, I believe, coming in uh, this, yep. this summer with, with KV on keys from Virginia. Yeah. Um, but we, you looked at that white team linebacker core uh, today, and I thought it was one of the more interesting groupings um, when, you know, on that we saw where you have Tamir Robinson in the middle at the mic and then Tony Rojas and Keon Wiley uh, on the outside. That's two freshman early enrollees and a redshirt freshman in Wiley. You know, these are guys that, um, you know, Wiley's obviously in a little bit of a different situation than Robinson and Rojas, but looking at that youth and, and thinking about, you know, projecting this forward and thinking about, you know, what does this unit look like, uh, you know, in two, three years? I think that those are three guys that you're really going to be thinking a lot about. Um, you know, I, I was really curious to see what Robinson looked like in the middle. I mean, he's so tall, so long. Um, he doesn't really look like your prototypical uh, Mike linebacker, especially what we've seen these past couple of years. You know, when you talk about Ellis Brooks and then Kobe King and Tyler Elsden. Um, so I'm really, really curious to see, you know, what that looks like, you know, when we're, you know, in November, when, when they're going through practice and he's had more time to develop more reps, um, you know, does that get him onto the field? You know, is this, is this an early enrollment a springboard for him? Um, and then, you know, I think Wiley is someone in, in rewatching that I'm going to try to keep a, a closer eye on. But then, you know, Rojas leading the team in tackles, and it felt like he was around the ball a lot. It seemed like that he was there to help finish plays. Um, you know, he was in space. Uh, it seemed like a, a couple times, uh, you know, when Drew Aller and Bo Prabula were able to find guys in the middle of maybe a zone downfield, it seemed like it would be, you know, behind Rojas in the corner in front of the safety. But, you know, I, I did like what I saw out of Rojas and this linebacker group is going to be, you know, a, a ton of fun. I mean, there's one Abdul Carter play that I think was a sort of classic uh, Abdul Carter play that I highlighted in the write-up where, uh, you know, Christian driver flashes at the line of scrimmage for a screen along the sideline. Abdul Carter sprints to take him away Bo Prevula gets flushed from the pocket. So driver starts to run up the field and Carter breaks up the pass, you know, down, down the field. And I would, that was the thing that I just kind of 
know, I had my binoculars in the right place <laughs> to, to see that unfold, but it was really like, Oh yeah, this guy, you know, really has it is really a total package. He's a bad man. Uh, <laughs> and, and a lot of the conversation coming out of these spring games often is about what are the early enrollees look like? What are the year one to year two guys look like? And that's what a lot of this conversation has been. It, it's always uh, a lot, a lot less of it is about focusing on those known commodities and, and, and some of the fourth and fifth year players. And we didn't see as much of some of them uh, in the spring game, but uh, we learned a lot more about some of the younger components of a roster. And let's face it, this young nucleus of, of second year players is a big part of the reason why people think Penn State is going to push for playoff consideration and, and, and maybe break through as a Big Ten title. Uh, look, Daniel, we got a lot to, to focus <laughs> in on, but three things that we do know are. There's three captains. Uh, there's Keaton Ellis, Olu Fashionu, and Dom DeLuca representing the offense, defense, and special teams for this program. And that's more than we've known about the leadership of this team in quite some time. Yeah, you know, leadership was, was maybe the, the one thing that was asked about every single media availability, it felt like. I don't even think Drew Aller got asked about every single availability. Um you know, we, we know what Penn State is replacing in terms of its leadership from last year. Um, it has been interesting to really hear the the assessment that there really aren't as many vocal leaders on the team this year, that it's really a lead by example type of thing. James Franklin used that, used the the numbers where he was like, you know, last year you might have four to six super vocal guys, whereas this year you'll have 12 to 16 guys who are less vocal, but that's kind of the, the same effect. And I'm really curious to see what that looks like. But, you know, when you talk about those three guys, you know, Fashionu, Ellis, DeLuca, um, I don't believe we've talked to DeLuca yet this year or in a while. Um, maybe he was available. I, I forget. But, um, you know, in terms of Fashionu and Ellis, I think both of them were pretty honest about how it doesn't come naturally to them, that they were people that, really have to step up and be more vocal. Um, I think even with us, Ellis kind of showed it just by how much more long-winded he was on a Zoom call that we had uh, earlier this week. Uh, in the past, he was someone who, you know, was, you know, was pretty, seemed guarded, you know, generic more or less. But, you know, I thought we got some really good insight uh, for him and from him earlier this week. And I think that's someone kind of feeling more comfortable speaking, you know, speaking to us, speaking behind the scenes. Um, and then I think that Olu is someone who has a lot of clout in that locker room right now. I think the fact that he could have gone pro could have been a top 10 pick didn't and his back. I think that those actions speak really loud and then he can really put words behind it now you know, when Omari Evans was doing the up downs, Olu walked over to him. Um, you know, I think that he is someone who is going to be really, really important to this locker room, really important on, on the leadership side of things. And for Keaton Ellis, the hometown kid, yes. I mean, uh, you know, he could ride his bicycle uh, over to Beaver <laughs> Stadium anytime he wanted as a kid. Um, and now to be a, a Nittany Lions team captain, that's special. And Dom DeLuca. He's two years removed from joining this squad as a walk-on. You know, he an injured walk-on at that. <laughs> right, an injured walk-on whose you know, initial landing spot was uncertain, and now here he is as a component on the defense and a special teams captain. 
and maybe he's the next number zero. We know that that's going to be given <laughs> to a special teams ace uh, in the fall. But three captains on board right now, according to James Franklin. We can probably expect another three coming in August uh, for each phase of the game. So something to stay tuned there. This is the earliest that I've ever heard any kind of team captains announced uh, by James Franklin while covering Penn State. So maybe they felt they wanted to get out in front of it, establish some of that leadership, anoint some of those guys and moving forward. Uh, whatever the cause was, uh, they announced that today. Um, by the way, Caleb Brewer announcing he is going to be a Nittany Lion, uh, joining the 2024 Penn State recruiting class just as we were sitting down to record this episode. Uh, a huge, huge weekend for recruiting purposes, and it's really just getting started. Tyler Calvaruzzo was on this podcast. We set the over-under at three and a half for combined basketball and football commitments between Saturday and through Sunday night, and he took the over. So Tyler seems to have a good sense. He doesn't seem to be nervous about that right now on Saturday night, and we've got one on board now with Brewer from the same high school in Reading, Pennsylvania, Wyoming, um, as Javen Williams. Uh, so this is a, a, a repeat trip to that same program, bringing a, a player from the same position unit in Brewer, uh, another offensive line addition, considered a top 10 player in the state of Pennsylvania, six foot four, 275 pounds, full coverage of his commitment at lines247.com. Uh, and we have a ton of recruiting to get to on our next episode of the podcast from whatever continues to happen coming out of the blue white game event. And also as players start to shape up their plans for official visits and commitments are going to be locked up and lining up in a, in a hurry. Now, Daniel, anything to add before we wrap up this post game edition, our first post game podcast since we were out in Pasadena. <laughs> no, I, I, we made it through unscathed. No more. We are better uh, tweets in the past, you know, 40 minutes or so. Uh, but I'm sure that there is plenty more to come on both the yes. hoops and I think on I think there's going to be some news on the basketball front uh, in the coming yeah. days as well. All right, good time to jump on board with Lions 24/7 VIP access is 50% off for an annual subscription through April 18th. So get on board now, get the best of the blue white game coverage coming out of this event, and then we got you ready to roll with the transfer portal window. Really taking shape now over the next week and a half, two weeks in college football. Penn State's going to be involved there. On behalf of Daniel Gallen and our entire coverage team, including Mark and Grace Brennan, who are at Beaver Stadium getting it done, check out their photo gallery. Check out our videos from after the game, all up at lines247.com. Stepping aside for now, I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.